so last week I was lucky enough to visit the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi in Allendale in South Northumberland. It was kind of one of those weird situations where we'd booked the holiday and there's this holiday let that we had in a town nearby. We hadn't realised we were as close to this place as we were and Doctor Who magazine arrived and there's all this stuff about this museum and its curator Neil Cole and his passion and how he looks after the museum and his vision for it and all this and it was like oh wow this is amazing and then it was like oh wait we're going to be really close by during that holiday week and he's open now and covid's kind of getting there and it's possible oh that's exciting we could actually go there one day and we worked out our schedule and there was only one day where it was possible which was last wednesday and yeah so we made it there and it was just oh, the best experience. Can't, I can't explain it to you. You probably can tell from my excitement in the interview, but every turn around that museum was just so exciting. So the first bit is is all sort of general sci-fi or different things like from the tripods or from the Marvel films. There was even a helmet from Flash Gordon, which I'm going to talk about on the Space Soldiers podcast. I kind of deliberately didn't go through the TARDIS doors on the left um, too soon because I was so excited about going through those TARDIS doors and all those ideas and experiences and nostalgia of the Blackpool Museum that I'd been to before um, and I'd also been to the Kanglothan Museum and also the Museum of the Moving Image years ago and it was just like I kind of didn't want to you know take it too fast so when I went through those doors and started looking at the exhibits like the Exelon head and part of a sea devil arm and then there was a season 18 corner that had, oh my god, it had a Gundam and it had guard uniform from State of Decay. That's to die is the purpose of guards. Um, and just oh, moving around and then seeing the exhibits, honestly, I can't explain as a classic Doctor Who fan how exciting and how brilliantly displayed these items are. And now just at every turn, it was just a complete thrill, absolutely. And there's some huge pieces in there, like proper, like authentic, original, big Doctor Who monster props that you kind of think, how is this here? I can't believe it that it's here. I can't believe that the Garm is standing in front of me right now. I can't believe that Mestor is there. I can't believe that, oh, just so many different things that were just like, I forget, I mean, the cryon. Um, oh, just everything was just so brilliantly lit, put together, curated, restored. And Neil's passion for the place and for Doctor Who is so obvious. And I think that will also come through um, the interview that I had with him. Okay, so cue intro music. And after that, you'll hear me talking to Neil rather excitedly after my tour of the museum. So I'm here with Neil Cole at the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi in Northumberland. Um, Neil, tell me, how did all this start? Well, first of all, can I just thank you very much for having me on your wonderful podcast. <laughs> I'm very honoured, very kind of you to take the time. The museum started in 1975 when I was um, in Blackpool yeah. as a young boy. Uh, age, age six and I was taken um, it was a, a very rare family day out and it was a bright summer's day we're on the, the seafront and then 
I was taken, I'd seen on the telly, it was advertised after the episodes of Doctor Who, and it was around the time of the Ark in Space, yeah, which cool. hooked me, hooked yeah. me and the Suntaran experiment. Yeah. And I remember they said there's an exhibition at Blackpool. My dad says, I'm off for a drinking weekend there, and uh, you can come along, and he took me to the exhibition. And we didn't go to many things as a child, and I didn't experience very much, but that, you went from this hot summer's day and you went suddenly, there's the TARDIS, yeah. you go in, the Sentinel Dalek is standing there yeah. shouting out, you're telling you not to smoke, and as a five-year-old I took that very seriously, <laughs> and then you went downstairs underneath one of the giant spiders and you were suddenly in a dark, coloured, light-lit, atmospheric, you had the radiophonic sounds are yeah. going, and you were transported, and as a five or six-year-old, yeah. I always say it's like Santa Claus at Christmas, this was better than Santa Claus at Christmas, to me, there was Field Major Steyer, there was the crinoid, um, which means it probably was 76, all those items were there and it blurred the reality. So there was no merchandise. So what I ended up getting, I remember, was, was no merchandise, very minimal. I've got the poster magazine I still have, yeah. I got there. And it was just basically a big picture of Tom Baker. Uh, Field Major Steyer on the back page, which just blew my mind at the time. And it was just the most, um, it was an experience I never forgot. And I, from that moment on, I thought, I love to do this. And it was the fact this was this year's Monsters on the telly. And there was no way we were ever going to see those again, because these were the days where yeah. there was... I got my first Target book that weekend, and it was um, from the local paper shop near where okay. we were staying, and it was Doctor Who and the Zabi. Oh. So I spent at least a night wondering who the hell was the Doctor, yes. why did he look like that, and pouring over the little black and white illustrations inside. And I still have that copy, and it's precious. Yeah. And it, it screams Doctor Who. Yeah. The really artwork, does. the Achilles artwork, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just screams, and it's a whole feel. And I also had the, my first yogurt that weekend, <laughs> so no, so it's like moment. so it's like it's like it's like I had a poster magazine, uh, Doctor Who and the Zabi, and a and a strawberry a ski yogurt, and it's emblazoned. That's, you know, that's yeah. that's a memory that I'll never. Yeah, 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 it's a moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went years later in '82, so I guess that was the first Davison season. Oh, All yeah, those jammy, jammy, yeah. jammy that. I'd love to have seen that lot. <laughs> So, I've just had a tour around the museum and the thing that made me gasp and made me think, how can that actually be there right in front of me, was the Garm just standing there. So I believe there's a bit of a story to how the Garm has come oh, to be standing in your I museum today. I can tell you about the Garm. But I have to know what's happening. You'll be taken to the Garm thereafter. Who knows? No one's ever come back from a meeting with him. I kind of had a, uh, an on-off relationship with the Garm, I feel, for many years. <laughs> I went, right, I had a funny life, right? I'm not going to give you my life story, but suffice to say, I, had, I suffered anxiety and depression. And sort of after my 20s, I went into a bit of a hole yeah. and, and cut myself off from the world. It was kind of useful because my art got really good because yeah. that was my outlet. Um, and then as I came out of that, I got a car, my first car in my 30s. And uh, drove down to Langothlin, went to Langothlin, and was blown away at the Doctor Who experience. There. Yeah. It blew me away because I'd started to collect one or two props. Yeah. And um, very early days, and I'll tell you about a plasmaton later, but, <laughs> but it, was, it was early days, and there was the garden. There was, there was every prop to me was fantastic. Even yeah. Mestor, you know, it's a twin dilemma. No, yeah. that is Mestor yeah. standing there. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And the Garm was one of them, and I thought, wow, that's the Garm. And I always liked Terminus. I always thought it gets a hard rap, because yeah, I think it it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. And Stephen Gallagher's been at the museum. He visited. Really? Oh, yeah, if you oh, look wow. at the plaque, Stephen's name is, is on the plaque. We, we sponsor, he sponsored the museum. 
and, uh-huh. and he always said he gets a, a battering for terminus whereas he says occasionally at the bar you'll hear people wittering about Warriors Gate but then occasionally he said every so often it's a bit of magic someone will go but terminus is actually quite good as well <laughs> and you know I think you, one of the things that always gets talked about is the garm isn't it yeah and I thought I just thought it was an adventurous story within the, the limits of what the parameters of the budget and the time yeah. and I think the veneer are great and I, I thought it's just a cool story yeah so anyway so there was the garb I thought it was amazing yeah. and then I went back a couple of times driving from Northumberland to Langoflin literally for the day mm. and saw the garb and thought oh that's a great prop and then it moved up to Blackpool yeah and I knew then in my heart I thought this is mm, there's something happening with this collection the BBC aren't loving this collection so there was the garm, and I remember going then every month down to the Blackpool uh, Museum, David Boyle's place, which was just wonderful. And, um, but everything wasn't being looked after the same. Yeah. And David, I know, did his very best to keep that place going, and he had no assistance from the BBC. In fact, he was paying the BBC to store their things. Yeah. When you actually read the exhibit, there's a good book by Bedwyr Gulledge about the exhibitions, yeah. very well worth getting from Telos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant book. Yeah. So I went in one day, and I'd... I'd I went to see the garment, I could see the arms were peeling, the rubber. Yeah. And I said to him, I went to the guest, I said, I'll fix that for you. But it was like, no, you know, it's BBC, you can't touch it, blah, blah, blah. And I went over a period of about five years and the new series came on and clearly there was no investment in this museum. Yeah. And I thought, the new series, they were distancing it, yeah. you know. New sexy Doctor Who. Yeah. Doctor likes girls now. He's this. He's like he's sexy Doctor Who, which I hate. I'm not into that. I like I like quite a mass Sherlock Holmes time okay. traveler. Yeah, yeah. Do- that's my Doctor Who. Yeah. Which is why it's a classic Doctor Who, is it? So anyway, I watched the deterioration of the garm, and then I knew an auction was coming up. Mm-hmm. I just knew I could tell, and so I started to sell things like my motorbikes, um, anything I had, Star Trek costumes. I'd got. I, I sold a lot, and I got enough money to buy a few props at yeah. the Bonhams auction. And I went for the ones that the big money guys wouldn't go for. Ah. So I went for the Terraleptil, the Mestor. Yeah. I had a chance of getting them because there's guys with just so much money. Yeah. Silly. And one such person, I'm not going to name, and, I, and I'm sure it wasn't deliberate, bought about five monsters, which was more than I could afford. Yes. Of which one was the Garm. Right. Anyway, fast forward. So I'm, I'm now in my collection. I'm still nowhere near a museum, but I've, I've got a nice little collection. Yeah. And it was in a collection room. I was hankering to do something, but I thought it wasn't quite, it was nowhere near that point. Um, and then about a year after uh, the Bonhams auction, there on eBay was the Garm, without one of his arms now. Uh-huh. And um, basically the other arm was looking like it was dropping off. And anyway, this guy wanted rid of it. So I drove through the night yeah. to Liverpool to pick it up, and it was in an industrial estate. Right. In an industrial unit. Yeah. So I went in, it was about seven, about eight in the morning we met, and there it was, and it was a sun-drenched, you know, temporary industrial unit. Yeah. The worst possible condition in the sunlight yeah. with the ancient one, a mandrel, tractator, oh, and there was another monster and they were yeah. all in the sunlight rotting <gasps> and they'd all deteriorate. So this guy got pots of dosh, yeah. bought them and they were now, the other, the, and the garm's other arm had fallen on. So I didn't, I could have, if I had had the money, could have offered him more for the others. I didn't have it. I had that just enough to get yeah. the garm. Yeah. So I got the garm back and I think he's the sort of monster to me. I, I, I love the Daleks, I love that, but Doctor Who always tends to be about Daleks and Cybermen. Yeah. And to be honest, I loved growing up, the fact it was a range of monsters. Yeah. I love season 12 because you had, you know, the giant robot, which is amazing. Yeah. The Wirren are fantastic, my yeah. daughter's favorite Brilliant. monster. Yeah. Field Major Steyer is my favorite villain. 
because yeah. I just think he looks so cool. Yeah. And then obviously D- Davros came in, and you had these iconic looks. Yeah. And then even in the 80s, I think the monsters, there was good and bad monsters, as there's always been, but you, the Garmin things, it's just these unique characters that popped up. Yeah. And for them to be allowed to rot away yeah. was tragic, because to me, Absolutely. these are cultural objects, right? Yeah. They are you and me, they are our memories. Yeah. And they mean something. And to see them in the flesh, to me, it's no different to go, I went to the Louvre. We yeah. saw, you know, some of the famous paintings. They're cool, they're good, yeah. but I much would rather see an original axon because <laughs> that has far more relevance to my yeah, life. And, I, and so I, I kind of realised what I'd been doing over a few years was restoring and saving. The, the, the Pterodactyl was three years of work on that. Um, and I'm still working full time as a teacher then. And ultimately, uh, the Garm was one I had to do a huge amount of work on, a massive amount. I had to rebuild a new frame yeah. because he'd been shortened to fit in this low ceiling. Yeah. So he was actually shorter than me. There was a, a motor inside him which had been put in for Longley. Yeah. And the whole costume had been stretched around uh. it. And the motor was still there, but it was tearing away the insides of the costume. Yeah. So basically, it was. Um, what I had to do was um, build a new frame, and I can send you pictures of this. Yeah. They literally I had to build a new frame, and I'm, you know, everything I do is do it as I do it. I'm not trained in anything, but I'm handy, and yeah, I yeah. turn my hand to it, I can generally do stuff. So it wasn't as much sculpting. This was like protecting the costume, raising up the height, and I managed to get it the maximum height to fit between two beams in the museum because yeah. he's a big, big, big lad. He's a big bugger. Yeah, <laughs> and I met and I met Sarah Sutton a few years ago, and she said, "Oh, she remembered him. He was he was fainting all the time. The poor ah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He was a basketball player, and he was right. just collapsing. And he could have the head on for minutes at a time. Yeah. The one thing I have done is I've sculpted two new full arms from." for the, the garment they're huge they're over yeah. a meter long each you know about right. a meter and a half each so they're brand new they're brand new i've sculpted them from scratch wow. and I, if you notice in there they're not on yet i've got rods on there to take oh. the weight and in the case facing the garment where the, the the veneer armor is yes. which, which is valgard's armor that's yes. actually amazing uh, yes andrew burt andrew burt brilliant actor. brilliant actor <laughs> there's the hand which i need to put a plaque in that's the last bit of the garments oh. arms bless it and basically um you can see the hands in close-up at the end of the at the end of episode four where he has to hold that the lever yes to stop yeah, the ship yeah, yeah, blowing up yeah. and it's just a fabulous piece and it, yeah. to me it's a bit of classic science fiction history and there's not another yeah. and i think he's the sort of character that clearly the big money collectors aren't interested in yeah. he's not and it's sad because i think they are really important because the daleks there are so many daleks in the world yeah the sad thing as well is that all the original 60s ones have been bought yeah. up by very big money in America and New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so we're never going to see them again. And they yeah. go into collector's rooms never to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be blunt, when I, before we got this house, I was about to sell my collection because I could no longer see the point of owning it. I had two children yeah. and I needed... Um, it was just like, well, I've seen this every day. Yeah. Okay, there's that, there's this. Yeah, yeah. But it's the sharing of it, that's the thing. Yeah, and that's part of the passion for you now, yeah. is it? It was at this point in the interview that Neil revealed that he had a new exhibit that had just arrived in a box that was in his house. Um, when he told me what it was, I was kind of so ridiculously excited that I sort of begged him to say, said, look, before I leave, could you possibly open it and show me the new exhibit? And he, he very um, generously did, and I actually filmed the unboxing video, which may or not may not be out before this podcast episode so i decided not to spill the beans here just in case it's not made its way out into the world yet because that's his revelation to give not mine 
But um, I do advise you to go to Neil's very active Facebook pages, um, which is called Neil Cole's Adventures in Science Fiction. And there you'll be able to see the video that I took of him opening the box to reveal a very spectacular um, Doctor Who exhibit, which honestly, well, you'll hear me from the video. I was ridiculously excited and just so pleased that I was there on that day at that specific time to to see that in the flesh. So that's something um, that I, I won't forget in a hurry. Back to the interview. I was lucky that I started collecting before the new series and I I am prepared to put years literally into a restoration. Yeah. The Terraleptil, because I can't work on things solidly all the time, even here as you see today. Yeah. If no one's here, I draw an art, but at the minute people are like, which is lovely, because the yeah. whole point is that I share this. Yeah. I am a custodian only. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to hold to hold the keys. Yeah. But it's open all year round. Yeah. And the whole point is because Blackpool was open all year round. Yeah. I, I, my mother, who died a good few years ago now, yeah. I took her the last trip we had out together. Yeah. She, 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 she liked the fact I loved Doctor Who. Yeah. So I took her out and we went to the exhibition and I bought her a cup of tea and some yeah. chips. And she was just happy that I was happy. Oh, that's lovely. The fact was, I knew every weekend I could just go and see those things. Every weekend, if I wanted to, that I could go and visit those precious objects. Yeah. And just take it in. I always say this museum's like it's like a time machine in as much that an object can mean a lot to somebody. So somebody was in the other day. We got Will's costume from the tripods. Well, that was the one that my wife was most excited about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I she remember. Used to fancy I was, I, well, I was 16, I think, when the tripods was on, and I was playing heavy metal then. Yeah. I was in a hair metal band before yeah. I saw Sense, and then, okay. got it, and, then, and then got into a Rush sort of writing band, um, and I was started singing and stuff and all that. That was a different life. But at the end of the day. They're a time machine for people. Yeah. And I think there was a woman came in, this was nice. For some reason, her favourite film of all time yeah. was The Martian. Okay. And there's a tiny hab light yeah. off The Martian. And she went, Do you know what my favourite thing is? She went, It's that light from The Martian. Yeah. You realise that every object has that potential to take somebody somewhere. Yeah. So the Terraleptil, yeah. I remember my mum and I went for a walk with the dog after episode one. Okay. And my dad was teaching then. Yeah. And he drew the Terraleptil from memory, because of course there was absolutely no public, there was nothing. And so I had this drawing, which I wish I still had. And so it was like, to me, it was like we went down to the woods where we walked, and it was like, it was the Terraleptors there. And yeah. it's that, I don't know, that's what it does. Yeah, absolutely. It triggers yeah. memory. All and nice style, things, yeah, generally yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And uh, we need a bit of that, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So as part of the podcast, every month mm. we have a Dressed for Success section where we talk about the costumes from each story. And this month mm -hmm. um, was Planet of Fire. Oh! <laughs> this month is Planet of Fire. So, yes. Tell me, have you have you had any connection with any Planet of Fire props or costumes? I haven't got a connection. However, I've got a story. Okay. Yeah, well, which is on. the best I can do. I nearly had. Right, I can tell you this. I nearly <laughs> had a costume, a San Dweller's costume, about two months ago. Okay. But it was they wanted too much for what I consider sand dwellers costumes to me are one of the less interesting costumes because <laughs> I always say well put it this way when the, they were sold off in 1990 at the oh, Bollum's okay. auction and they were sold off as racks oh. and I always say that if you were a canny buyer at the time because yeah. let's face it where there was Daleks and tractators for sale yeah, yeah, yeah. the sand dwellers were going to be down there yeah, down at the bottom. but I just thought if you were a school play production yeah. You had your annual school play <laughs> sorted for decades because that those sand dwellers costumes you had your you had your shepherds yeah. Joseph and everything Joseph they were there exactly, they yeah. were all there <laughs> anyway 1990 I was a student just yeah. a student and I and uh, then I was self I, was, I became self-employed as an artist for a little bit 
and the Bonhams auction came up and it was on Blue Peter yeah. and I remember being blown away yeah. that these costumes were on sale yeah and I suddenly looked and I thought I can't afford any bit so I sent away for the catalogue which I got and I just thought maybe I could afford just a little something and I looked I thought a sand dweller's headdress that's surely got to have the least possible interest <laughs> of anything in this yeah, catalogue. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a tea towel with a band round yeah, it. exactly. And I just thought, maybe, maybe I could get a sand dwellers thing. Yeah. And then, it's, uh, the irony is now, I would like a sand dwellers costume because I want an object from as many stories as possible. Right. But the one I saw recently, which I was so close, I thought, no, you're not skinting yourself yeah. for effectively a school nativity costume. Yes, indeed. Because. <laughs> I will know it's from Planet of Fire, but yeah. how much people... I always now have to think about what is the value of an object for the visitor. Yeah. I am very limited in money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm on Patreon now, so I do like monthly magazines, mm. bits and bobs to bring extra in. But ultimately, it's a not-for-profit museum. So yeah. it's like um, everything goes just back into the museum. So I now am very conscious of like, what impact will a piece have? Yeah. And I'm short on space. And I had to think, right, will this sand dweller's gown and tea towel really give people a buzz <laughs> yeah. and I thought not really no if I'm honest yeah and I don't mean to be you know. I maybe um Perry's top or Taylor's shorts might be different <laughs> I I don't I, I don't think I could handle Perry's top so I think I'd have to just give somebody else the display <laughs> yes 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 moving wonderful. on wonderful so yeah the the costume that I saw today that also took my breath away um was perhaps unexpected now I'm telling you, which is um, Tusa's skirt from Robots of Death. I mean, yeah. how did you get your hands on that? You're a trouble desk. You take all the magic out of life. That was simply through a dealer. Okay. There are dealers who do, all they do all day is hunt out props yeah. and buy and sell. And that was simple as that. Yeah. Um, which means you pay a lot for it. Yeah. So I'm not saying it was not a, che it was not a cheap purchase. No, However, it was Robots of Death. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> I like the character of Tusa. Yeah. Um, I think the costumes in that story overall are brilliant. They are. I think they're lovely. I mean, you can take the mick out with them. It's Panto and all the rest. But I think fundamentally, for the time they were made, they are bloody good. And I think that story is fantastic. My dear friend Simon Horton, who runs the Hoonatics uh, Doctor Who group, he was equally blown away yeah. by Tusa's skirt. He's the <laughs> other. You're the second person. He that to him is a piece of magic. Yeah, Tusa's skirt. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I was delighted to get it. Um, yeah. My uh, my one of my favourite pieces is the Galsec rifle because yeah, my, I was going to ask you. Yeah. My favourite story is Santaran experiment yeah. because I just it's, it was like where I lived, and I loved Steyr and I just remembered it very clearly. And to get the and I saw that gun for sale in America through a, an auction, yeah. and it had BBC ray gun, you know, 1960s BBC ray gun, yeah. uh, and that was it. And I looked at it and it, ah, it's all rusted, you know. Yeah. And I thought, What's that? I thought, oh, it's a BBC. And I thought, what's that? Couldn't picture it. So I just went over it. And then suddenly I got the 20, season 12 script book and it had um, Tony Oxley's drawings in yeah. for the gun. And I suddenly went, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. And I realised, oh, it's lost a few bits. Yeah. It's lost the plastic on the front. Yeah. And then it had discoloured and then it's got a blue barrel. And I realised, I looked at the pits, the chrome, the blue chrome was still there. Ah. And I thought, shit, it's the bloody... Galsec gun. Not only that, it's got the wiring. Yeah. And when I did more research, there was two made, one lit up, one was wired and wasn't wired. I thought, it's the bloody light up gun. Yeah. And it was also the one that was then used for Callie's gun in Time Squad. Oh, wow. With bits stuck on. And you can see where the glue is. Right. Where they stuck bits on. Oh, that's brilliant. And I ended up getting it from America. It was, it was you know, a couple of hundred quid. Hmm. 
but it was a remarkable again it's the sort of thing a dealer now would probably want thousands for of course and I this is what I'm saying, I couldn't afford these things so no. I get offers for, to sell things all the time my reply is I can never afford to buy them back and it, for me this is not about these going into someone's room it's about they're there yeah and you can come and see it anytime to share and, and to, to share yeah. and to keep look after properly yeah a huge number of costumes from the 2010 auction went to New Zealand to a oh. museum in New Zealand a lot of costumes went yeah they came back this year because the owner bless him had died yeah the humidity oh. and a flood has destroyed nearly destroyed them all oh, so a lot of the things that were in the Blackpool Museum yeah. many pieces are trashed a, a good example which somebody actually said could you fix it for me who bought it yeah. was and I didn't bid on it it's the first time I didn't bid right. on a costume yeah. was Zog's costume from the ultimate adventure oh yeah I saw that <laughs> and it's gone it's yeah, fur right. yeah, yeah. basically what would happen is I'd have to make a new sculpt of the entire head arms anything and it, at that point I thought well this isn't really original and I'd, obviously I have re-sculpted like the cheetah person in there I've re-sculpted yeah, the face amazing. Thank you. I remember yeah. it took me, that was a sod to do. I bet it was. <laughs> I, put, I ended up putting Fox's eyes in. Yeah. Glass eyes looked the best. It was a sod because without the, the cowl on, which is all original, it, it looked wrong. And it was only one day, and I was literally going mad with that. And it ended up looking like a pussy cat, then it looked like wrong. And then it looked, and eventually I got it, and I put the thing on, I went, oh, it's okay with the hold on. Ah. And that was that. Yeah. But it took some. But yeah. it's all original but that face. So you feel, I feel like that is a cheetah person with a restructured face but with something like that zog it would have just been that's my sculpture with some bits of fur stuck on yeah and, it, and i think this is the problem when you get people who buy these things and they don't know what they're doing yeah um you end up with pieces they are going you know the hemovore there i've had for 15 years wow. it's i sealed that right. moisturized it sealed it and yeah. there's been no deterioration in time yeah. there are so many highlights at neil's museum whether it's the cyber scout or Plasmaton from Time Flight, Sill's headpiece from Vengeance of Varus, a Megarian from Terror of the Vervoids, one of the Mordron Undead Mutants costumes, Malin Tekka's outfit from Time Lash, a Hika's gown from Brain of Morbius. Oh, the list is endless. But if I had to pick just one that was an absolute, oh my God, it was turning a corner and seeing a Broton from Terror of the Zygon standing there. Oh, just amazing. I had to ask Neil about Broton. We can't have this interview and not talk about Broton. Yeah. The, I turned the corner there was yeah, Broton. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Is, yeah. Is he new to the museum? Yeah. Basically, I... Okay, another bit of irony or whatever you call it, synchronicity. I start... Somebody... I mean, I was an art teacher full-time. Somebody suddenly came in one morning to school. The parents just donated this really big old mannequin. Do you want it? Yep. I love mannequins because I'm sculpted yeah. on them. So I thought, I know, kids, what should we do? Because I have a Doctor Who club. Yeah, yeah. I've had one for 20 years or so. And I said, what can we do? And I said, uh, Zygon. That's what we can do. We'll build a Zygon, he said. Because that'll be easy. So Because I thought, well, everyone can sculpt a sucker, yeah. you know. And built a Zygon. At the same time, Mike took a contact with me, having seen me on Facebook and stuff. And he went, loving your Zygon, Neil. I'm doing the, uh, I'm, I'm restoring Broat on it at the minute. And I said, you wouldn't put on a school page that you like what I'm doing, you know, yeah. after effects yeah, yeah, artist, yeah. you know, which he did. And then we stayed in touch. And anyway, about two months ago, three months ago, whatever it was, he just went, look, Neil, I'm shifting out studios. I'm shifting space around. I've got, I'm really, Broughton's going to go on the loft, and I really don't want him to. And there's nowhere I'd rather he went than here. Wow. Broughton, your spaceship's been destroyed. 
This building is surrounded by soldiers. I control the skeleton. I can destroy this planet or become its master. That is the choice I offer your world. Mike's been very supportive of my work over the years, just quietly in the background. He's yeah. always just said the odd nice, and it's just amazing from a guy of his calibre. Of course. You know, and so I drove down through the night, met Mike, and he gave me the tour of Broton. And it's been restored, for, it was restored I think for Olympia, and then it went to Cardiff. Yeah. And it was restored by Colin Mapson. Oh yeah, visual and, effects. Yes, assignment. but yeah. Colin, uncredited, did the original Zygon costumes as part of the team, but he wasn't credited. So he always, it always goes to sort of James Aitchison yes, and um, Friedlander. Yeah. Well, they were the, the chief people yeah. on it. But Colin Mapson was one of the guys doing all the rubber and up and everything. Oh. So he then restored one of his own bits of handiwork. And what Mike said was actually, it's starting to go a bit already because we've done it exactly as we did in the 70s. So he basically, he was really interested in how I'd done the Terraleptil. He said, I love what you've done the Terraleptil. No, no, Mike, no, no, it doesn't work like that, mate. I, I'm asking you the questions. You are the master. <laughs> yeah. I am your Padawan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Mike just was lovely. He really loved what I'd done the Terraleptil, which was really humbling. And he's a lovely guy, and he basically had a good natter, and he just was very keen that it came here. Yeah. He said he couldn't think, and he said it's on long-term loan. You probably need it back at some point. Um, so what I've done is I've kept a couple of monsters upstairs, which I'm working on now, to put in its place, which I'll hold back, because yeah. there'll be a bloody void. But what the problem was, was it's a big costume, and I had to, um, I drove through the night to get it, and through the night back. Yeah. So I was knackered when I got it here, but I then had to, we had to tear down a section of the museum to then build a new section. Right. So it was a big job, and that's why I said to Mike, I needed it for a little bit, because this was going to be a big job. And I had to buy, the glass itself was like about you know, nearly 200 quid for that bit of glass. Yeah. And I had to smash a bit of glass, which was about 150 quid. Oh God. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because the glass is single use. I thought uh, I'd be able to cut it. We have, we have, right, here's an, we have one of the world's top glass cutters in the village. Oh, that's He was cut glass in the desert for Arabs. Oh, wow. He's so wow. amazing, yeah. right? He's like one of the top glass cutters in the village. He came, I said, can you just cut it? Because he you know, pops around me, but he's in heavy metal motorbikes, you know, we get on. And basically he came up and he went, oh God, Neil, I'm so sorry, he brought his cut, he went, it's uh, the way, it's, it's just, it, as soon as I cut this, it'll shatter. Right. If you'd had it laminate, we'd have been laughing. Yeah. So that was it, he said, that's it. okay. So, <laughs> it was, it, all I'm saying was, Broton required some effort. Effort. Yes. But very worth it. Yeah. So, I must ask you, before we finish, how can people support you oh. and the museum? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, please like me on Facebook, which is, I think it's Neil Cole's Adventures in Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi Museum, or some nonsense like that. Put in Neil Cole and Sci-Fi Museum. It sounded like a good idea at the time, but now it's just dreadful, but it's too late. It's out there. Um, that would be great. Just the support on Facebook, share, yeah. share posts is, is magic, because we are in a, in a little bit of an out-of-the-way place. We're basically halfway between the Lake District and Roman Wall, yeah. and it's a beautiful place because it's quite quiet, apart from today, of course. Yes. It is generally a nice place to visit. The scenery, it's an area of outstanding natural beauty, and it's a nice place to have a, a relaxing break. But apart from that, um, I'm also on Patreon. Uh, if you become a museum patron, just put in Museum of Classic Sci-Fi Patreon or whatever it is, yeah. you will be able to get 
free mem- free entry anytime. Uh, newsletter, podcast, exclusive podcast stuff, and we also do a magazine now, which you get either a PDF, and if you want to pay a little bit more, you'll get a heart, you get a beautiful, professionally printed copy. Yeah. And if anyone wants to donate anything to you, just do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy looks after the things properly, and he yeah. restores, and he keeps. Look, the- I would happily pay. You know, I always say I'll pay. I I will pay the realist. I will pay the realist. Just be. I don't want to say it because I get on with the dealers as well. But they are always going to pay a little less because they need to make a profit. Yeah. If you've got something that you, you would like people to see, yeah. please do give me a ring because I get overlooked a lot. And mm. come and see because I will be putting it out. You'll have a plaque even with your contribution on and everything yeah. else. And I will also give you some, I will give you some dosh for it. You know, and I, but I would, you know, I've had some wonderful donations like some 1960s scripts recently yeah. um, and a, an amazing... And that's the sort of object I would never get a chance at because the price it would go for on the market would be yeah. probably about, it would just be prohibitive. I just would never have had a chance. Well, and now, I'm intrigued now. How much would it be? I, would it, have, I wouldn't have a clue. These things go privately. There was, to give you some idea, Alpha Centauri's head yeah. was sold on a, a reputable prop dealer site for 30000 <gasps> Oh, now, I didn't know it would be that much. Wow. Now, um, you've then got a lot of these things that are sold privately so you don't know how much they go for, Yeah. actually. Yeah. But they're still big books Um, and you know the thing is you've got just rafts of collectors and some collectors you know are very wealthy people and is that it and so a little museum like mine is uh, I mean I'm very content because I I think the collection is really good and I built it through persistence over 30 years really I started and I've repaired things which were like the Black Cyber Scout huge amount of you know about a year of restoration yeah. in that you know and that that's how i've been able to um it's not afford i've been i've put the time in yeah and i've even obviously i've, I've rebuilt the base the bottom of the building i've restored the cellar because yeah. i needed a building yeah and i couldn't afford a building the way the museum works is i live in it i live above it yeah and the house was a wreck and we've it's still work in progress upstairs yeah um but we had to start with the floor anyway because it was it was damp and we needed to, it was flooded, so we had to get all the water out. And that took okay. about a year to find where all the water was coming from. Yeah. So that's how I've been able to do it. But it's been through, every so often I'll get somebody, I'll say, oh, you're a lucky fan. And I'm kind of like, if I'm honest, looks not really got no. much to do with it. No, as it's, you said, persistence. It's persistence and graft, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one thing, just buying a prop. It's another, I mean, every stand is bespoke. Yeah. And I, mean, I teach... I used to teach more full-time, but I used to work next to the woodwork room. My lunch times were not staring at the staff room wall. Yeah. They were in that woodwork room. I'd bring in my MDF and my poles and yeah. stuff, and I would make my stands in my lunches. So every stand I've handmade, the yeah. plaques I've designed over 200 plaques now. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's another beautiful beautiful thing. It's just Thank how you. lovingly crafted it is Thank as you. you go around. You like you get you get the idea of the props in context. Yeah. And exactly what story it is and detail about that. Yeah. And sketches. It's just so. Thank you. Brilliantly put together. Fittingly, we had to end the interview there as Neil got up to welcome more guests to the museum. He's such a friendly, personable chap. And what he was saying about persistence and graft, honestly, I was blown away by his enthusiasm and, of course, by the museum. I urge you to go visit it. I mean, if you're from overseas, tie it in with going to see Hadrian's Wall and the Lake District. As he said, they're just just next door. And um, if you're in the UK, you've got no excuse, honestly. Just such a brilliant setup, so much to see. Um, you'll be there for 
well over an hour, I'd say. And, um, you know, he's the sort of guy that should go around again. Um, but honestly, rarely have I met a nicer Doctor Who fan. And such a pleasure to, to spend some time there. So um, I'd also say become a Patreon. I've done that as well. I'm now a space cadet, which is quite exciting. I get a badge in the post soon and all those extra things that he was talking about. As for that mega exciting exhibit reveal, go to Neil's Adventures in Science Fiction page on Facebook um, this week and you will find out what that is. Whoa, you are not going to be disappointed. We'll be back next month on the 8th of September with another regular episode of World Enough and Time. Until then, bye. Busiest day has ever been. Oh, no. <laughs> I've never seen so much fucking traffic. I'm from somewhere that's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, there's a royal visit on. Anyway, oh, sorry. It's fine. Right. Alex and I swear on the podcast all the time, so swears are fine. Are you alright with swears? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. I like swearing. <laughs>